welcome to Langstaff Online. My name is Michael De Silva, and I am your host for episode 69. In this episode, I plan to take on the subject of biblical justice. Are Christians responsible for enacting justice? This question will be examined through the lens of the biblical narrative. There's so much social unrest in our world today. Think of this year. We've seen the, uh, the news, the racial inequality, those crying out for justice. It is built within the human heart, a desire to see things made right. The problem is, is that with imperfect people, it is difficult to bring justice because we ourselves don't administer it correctly. The uh, Christian community from the time of the Enlightenment to today, especially in the Western world, has predominantly been satisfied with subcontracting justice to our government. Let them handle the social issues of the day, and Christians can just go about focused on spiritual matters. The problem with that mindset is that it's completely against the scriptures. The subject of justice is not just a subject of treating each other equitably, but it actually is the foundation of the heart of God. God is just. We use this word all the time, but what does it mean? Justice is at the very heart of God, and today his children have been called upon to demonstrate and present to the world what the character of God is all about. So this is a very important subject, and I would like to take it up today from the perspective of the Bible. Not, not a world perspective of justice, but a biblical perspective. I intend to just give us a panoramic view through the scriptures and then to leave all of us today with some practical and I think very searching uh, thoughts as it relates to this subject and how God would like us to live and enact in our world. Advice from a, uh, a CEO. My father and I have a colleague. Uh, he was a CEO in the hospitals in Toronto for over 20 years. I knew him in the last part of his career. He's now retired. He was sent by the Ministry of Health to many hospitals to fix them after he retired. Uh, problems. Uh, he would take over, they would fire the entire board of directors, and they would start from scratch. And I remember a piece of advice that he gave to me, young in my career, and uh, he used it as from his own experience. He said oftentimes he, he would remember going to executive meetings, and the executives of a hospital, they get together. And one individual would ask another individual to help them with a problem. Maybe it's a financial problem or a problem with administration or management. And, uh, you know, I would turn to Tim and say, Tim, can you help me out with this problem that we're having? And Tim takes the challenge on. Two weeks later, he says, you come to the meeting. And the one who asked for the help is now looking at Tim to say, Tim, how come you haven't resolved the issue yet? And so he gave me this piece of advice back then. He said, when people ask you to help them with their problems, he says, you should use these words. He says, you should say, let me help you with your problem. In other words, make sure they never forget the problem is theirs, not yours. Now, that's a really good, sound piece of advice from a world perspective. But it doesn't work in the Christian life. Because the Christian life and doing justice is all about making your problem my problem. You know why I know that to be true? Because that's what the Lord Jesus did. He made our problem 
his problem. And he went to the cross to take away our sin. So I want you to remember that as we consider this great subject of justice. Now, um, let's, let's start with a definition. What is biblical justice? This is very important. Humans are held to a much higher moral standard than other forms of life because we have been made in the image of God. Let me give you an example. A female panda. If a female panda has a set of twin cubs, a female panda will typically reject the one and cleave to the other so that one will survive and the other will be left out in the cold. I don't know anyone in the human condition that says that pandas are unjust. You know why? Because pandas were not made in the image of God. You and I were made in the image of God. And what does that mean? That means that we were called like mirrors. Image of God means we reflect like a mirror what God is like to the world. We show the dominion. We show the authority and administering God's great creation. This is how God designed it in the Genesis 1 story. So that we could reflect and actually replicate the character of God in the world. And one of those characteristics is the characteristic of justice. We were made to be God's representatives on earth and to carry out his plan, abiding by the morals and concepts of justice that God himself abides by. Because by the way, God abides by these conditions. According to God's definition of justice, all humans are equal. All humans are created in his image and all humans deserve to be treated with fairness and with justice. You see, the world cries out for this, but without an understanding of who God is, we see uh, incorrect applications in our world today. The biblical narrative tells us that with the introduction of sin, we see humans rejecting God's principles of justice and instead begin defining good and evil for themselves in a way that gives them advantages over others. This forms the foundation to idolatry. This is how idolatry works. I don't like reflecting the God who made me. And because we were made as image bearers, we now define a God of our own choosing, a God that we like, a God that gives us the power to dominate others. It gives us the control over other people. And we design these gods of our own making and we worship them by reflecting them into the world because we were made to be image bearers. And we will either be an image bearer to the creator God or we will be an image bearer to the God of our own making. And that's what happened with sin. Good and evil is thrown apart. And we don't reflect God anymore. We reflect the image of God that we want. The strong take advantage of the vulnerable, both at an individual level and at a societal level. Throughout all of this, the justice that God intended for humans to exhibit is nowhere to be found. Then we come to Abraham, Genesis story. Out of this mess, Tower of Babel, the sons of God being given as an inheritance of the nations, God raises up this one man with his wife, Unlikely. I mean, how is God going to bring blessing to an old man and an old woman who don't have any children? This is God's plan. God raises up this man named Abraham and he positions him to start a new line of people with his family. One that is ruled by righteousness and justice. It always comes back to the same theme. God wants them now to be image bearers. They are to reflect God's image again in the world. And that is always God's plan. So what is righteousness? Righteousness refers to a state of moral good in which you treat those around you with decency and fairness, recognizing that all of them are made in the image of God, just like ourselves. 
In the Bible, righteousness and justice are always together. You find them always coming together. And I find this subject to be very important. I'll tell you why. We oftentimes will focus on teaching in Scripture that's important but may not be critical to understanding God. And sometimes we focus on a few verses, the whole Bible, on a certain subject, just a few verses. The word righteousness is used over 150 times in the Hebrew Scriptures alone. And the word justice, 400 times. I can't think of the last time we had messages that were just dis just discussing justice itself. And yet it's one of the most paramount truths in Scripture. Because this at the heart of it, it's not about politics. It's not about social unrest. Ultimately, it's the character of God himself. Are we not to be reflecting God's image? And if we are, then we should understand what justice is. So what is justice? Justice can be used to talk about retributive justice in which a person is punished for their wrongdoings. You commit a crime, you pay a price. You commit a crime, you pay a price. And sadly, most of us think that that's all that justice is. It's not. Most of the time in the Bible, 90% of the use of this word justice, mishpat, it is a reference to restorative justice in which those who are unrightfully hurt or wronged are restored and given back what was taken from them. This is very important. Uh, in the Revelation story, most of us in our what we have learned over the years, our focus is always retributive. God will judge the world. God will judge sin. God will come. He'll destroy everything. That seems to be the focus, but... You study Revelation, there's a little, there's an interesting story of a number of people who are underneath the altar and they have been martyred for the name of Christ. And they cry out to the Lord, Lord, how long, how long before you avenge us the, the blood that was shed? And the Lord looks at them. And you know what he says? He says, not yet. There's more brothers and sisters to be added. What is God telling them? The day is coming and I will make everything right again. He's going to restore these individuals and bring them back to the right standing. The way they were mistreated in the world, the way they suffered in the world, all of that is going to be reversed. And so we have retributive. But the predominant theme of Scripture is this concept of restorative justice. So taken this way, the combination of righteousness and justice that God dictates means a selfless way of life in which people do everything they can to ensure that others are treated well and injustices are remedied. One of the greatest stories in the Hebrew scriptures to uh, highlight the character of God in justice is the Exodus people story. Now, I, I know everyone listening today on Zoom or here in person knows this story very well. The Egyptians were the oppressors. Israel was the oppressed. And so God intervenes. What does God do? He brings retributive and restorative justice. Who receives the price for the injustices that they were doing? Egypt. And by God, by Pharaoh hardening his heart, one plague after another, until the firstborn in the entire land perished. What about restorative justice? God came to free a people from their slavery. God ensured that before those people left, they received the goods of Egypt. All those years of suffering, back pay, you know, pensions, it was all given to them. And they took it with them to a wilderness that would eventually lead to a promised land. God shows what justice is about. It has both a retributive aspect, but it has a restorative aspect as well. And I really enjoyed this because in the Hebrew scriptures, 
This story becomes the advanced signpost to the Lord Jesus and the cross where retributive and restorative justice are seen in its fullest reality. Now, let me explain how. Retributive justice at the cross. Who deserved to pay the price? We did. What does Christ do? He takes our place. He becomes our representative. And he takes upon himself this retributive justice that is due to the sinner. The one who did not sin and could not sin, Peter says, became sin for us. What about restorative justice? In the cross story, where is restorative justice? Well, there was one who should have never died. Restorative justice is seen in Christ again. The first one, because of our sin, he takes our place. And the second one, because of his righteousness, his body would not see corruption. And on the third day, God raises him from the dead. Restorative justice must be had by God. And so Christ is raised again. And we as believers live in the good of Jesus' death and Jesus' resurrection. In his death, he dies for us. In his resurrection, we come into the good of restorative justice. We don't deserve it. But we've come into the good of it because of who he is. It's the greatest example ever. So don't tell me justice is not important. Justice is at the very heart of the gospel story. Sadly, the oppressed oftentimes become the oppressors. And this is a real danger and warning for us. Those who are older here will know. How many times have you seen dictatorships toppled by a new dictatorship that comes in its place? When God rescued Israel from the land of Egypt, they were to be a different people. They were to be a people of righteousness and justice. As you study the Hebrew scriptures, what do you find? Israel became the very opposite, didn't they? They became just like Egypt. I was going through a number of texts, and I'll throw these out to you. During the times of the kings, this is Proverbs here. The kings will, uh, this is Solomon likely, and this is what he says. Good people or righteous people care about the justice for the poor, the rights of the poor, the rights of the vulnerable. But the wicked are not concerned. Are you concerned for those who are disadvantaged over yourself? I mean, this scripture is very clear. The wicked are not concerned. We as the children of God should be very concerned for those below us who are in need. Now, let me, let me preface this just to say that all of us or most of us in some part of our life have had authority over others. Moms and dads, you have authority. Husbands and wives, even amongst each other, there's authority. Managers in business, positions of authority. In the church, elders, deacons, positions of authority. What God is teaching us from his word when he gave humankind to have dominion over creation was this. Those who have authority, and there are times in our life when we do. Senior saints, you have authority because people look up to you. Anyone who's in a position of authority has a God-given responsibility to care for the needs of those who are below you. This is what justice teaches us. I have a responsibility to take care of my children in an equitable way, to give them a voice when they cannot speak. And if I fail to do so, the great judge of the world will judge me on judgment day. This, this is serious stuff. This is not lighthearted. This is at the very heart of God and what God calls people to do. So if I care not about those who are below me, this verse tells us I'm the wicked because I'm not concerned at all. 
That, that's a grave, grave statement. Proverbs 31, 8 and 9. Speak up for those who cannot speak for themselves. For the rights of all who are destitute. Speak up and judge fairly. Defend the rights of the poor and the needy. Now, in my position in life, in many of my positions in life, in work and in home and in church life, I am not the weak and vulnerable. I have personally been placed in a position of authority. When I look at these words, these words are for me to speak up for those who cannot speak. That is the responsibility of leadership. The responsibility of leadership is not to be a policeman. It's not to set all the rules and boundaries. The responsibility of a leader, a true leader, is to care and tend for the needs of those who have been entrusted in their care. That's what leadership really is all about. And why do I know this to be true? Because that's at the heart of God. That's how God deals with it. We're sinners. Why would God, why would the Lord Jesus associate with 12 very sinful men? Because he had a desire in authority, his position of authority to care for them. And so these were the words of the kings. What about the psalmist? Psalm 146, Messianic Psalm. He gives justice to the oppressed, food to the hungry. The Lord frees the prisoners. The Lord opens the eyes of the blind. The Lord lifts up those who are weighed down. The Lord loves the godly. The Lord protects the foreigner among us. He cares for the orphans and the widows, but he frustrates the plans of the wicked. This is the heart of the Lord Jesus Christ. And we were called as the reflectors of Christ in our world today to show forth what he is like. Because that's where our allegiance is. My allegiance is not to Canada, to the United States of America. On these countries, I have many family and friends and I enjoy a lot of our freedoms. But my association with authority is right to heaven's glory. It is right to the Lord Jesus Christ himself. And the Lord, it says here, he gives the rights, he gives justice to the oppressed. We have been called to speak for those who cannot speak for themselves. And then we go through the times of the prophets. Israel got so bad, they did everything that Egypt did before they left the land. And so the prophets cry out. Jeremiah says, thus says the Lord, do justice and righteousness and deliver from the hand of the oppressor him who has been robbed. And do no wrong or violence to the resident alien, the foreigner, the fatherless, and the widow, nor shed innocent blood in this place. You will often see this trifacto of the foreigner, the fatherless, and the widow. In our world today, it extends far beyond that. Those who are senior, those who are widows, those who are young, those who are new even to God's assembly. We are to be, we are to treat one another equitably. And leadership's responsibility is to care for those who cannot speak for themselves. I can speak for myself. You don't like what I have to say? You can tell me. And I'll have to listen to you. But the responsibility of leadership is to speak for those who cannot speak. Because that's how God designed it. He was the good shepherd that gave his life for little baby sheep. Not big, strong people either. And that's what God's calling is. This is at the character of God. Micah 6 and 8, one of the most famous verses amongst the prophets. O human, do what is right. What does the Lord require of you? To act justly. In the King James it says, to do justice. To do it. To love mercy and to walk humbly with your God. Mercy and humility are two other great attributes. Not in my message today, but they are definitely balanced and reflective within this great subject of justice. So to our Lord Jesus Christ. We use the word Christ, it means the anointed one. It's a Hebrew term, 
for a Jewish concept, but to those of us today, we should just acknowledge in our more English way of thinking that Jesus Christ is the king. He's the king. He's the head of all. He's not going to be the king. He is the king. He was born king. He'll always be king. He was king from eternity past. One of the greatest injustices we succumb to individually is self-righteousness, the belief that we do not need Jesus but are just good and right apart from him. That is not only true about salvation, but as believers we can fall into the same trap of self-righteousness to think that we can live our life with a set of principles and rules that exempts Jesus' as head in my life. It's very easy to do. Just over time, you just start slipping away. You start designing a plan, and in that plan, you feel like you're just and you're good and you're right. But in fact, you and I are none of those things. Never be any of those things. We're granted it from Christ, and we need the Lord Jesus Christ in every aspect of our life. We can fail to see that Jesus is the righteous judge, judged in our place for our own acts of injustice, including our marginalizing him by refusing to sense our need for him to remove our sin and make us whole. This is true of us in salvation story, but it's true of us now that we are born again. We are to live our lives in full allegiance to our king. And we are now called, as the Genesis 1 account, we are called to now reflect the image of God into the world around us. Only as we despair of ourselves and cling to Christ can we participate in his work of restoring lives, the church, and the world. We, the church, are to live now in light of Jesus' restoration of all things. Remember, we are new creatures in Christ, and yet I'm, I'm looking forward to many things coming up. Resurrection, new body, uh, a new heaven and a new earth, but Christ has given us already the position of being new creatures, and so he wants to see the restoration of this process beginning today. In our hearts, that's why we, we know this to be true. Because the Spirit of God is in us as a down payment of what eternity is going to be like. And so, there is no excuse. We can't say, well, the world is not good. So I'll just do these three things. And uh, I won't worry about all these things here. Because the world's terrible. I mean, that's the defeatist mindset. The Christian wasn't called for the defeatist mindset. It's going to be hard. There's going to be lots of bumps along the way. Things don't work out perfectly as we expect them to. But it does not exempt us from reflecting the image of God to the world. And that image is when there's anyone in my life that I can show the heart of God to. And justice is my subject today. You can do this with mercy and love and others. But on the subject of justice, I am called as a child of God to reflect to them who God really is. So we, the church, as we experience the wholeness that the Lord Jesus offers, we are to carry his justice forward in the world. We sense God's heart for this in James' epistle. Now, as we studied so far, I've taken you through the Hebrew scriptures. You might say, well, the church wasn't called to be just. No, wrong. God's character doesn't change. And the New Testament is a, is a great example of showing that. James speaks like an, a Hebrew prophet of old. And he denounces oppression towards the poor. He saw in his lifetime, the first generation of church life, he saw church leaders favoring the rich and looking down on those less fortunate than others in the congregation. James 2, 1-3. James calls for the breaking down of these divisions as God seeks to renew his people, making them whole. The same problem still arises today especially given the tendency in some Christian circles to downplay justice while highlighting something like personal morality. Jesus rebuked this in the Pharisees. I find myself a recovering Pharisee, so these words, they mean a lot to me. 
Matthew 23 and 23. Jesus said to the Pharisees, Woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites. That's a very, very searching statement. Sometimes we say we don't like to hear strong language. Well, Jesus uses strong language. And often on those who are vulnerable or those in authority. It's my whole point being made here. Jesus speaks to authority when they're wrong, like that. And when they're vulnerable, a woman caught in sin or someone at the well, he's completely compassionate to them, isn't he? He's the man of all authority. I read this morning, uh, those didn't hear me on Zoom, in Ephesians, he is the one who receives all the authority and all the glory and all the honor. He sits at the right hand of the majesty on high and he comes down and humbles himself to a woman caught in sin. But to the Jewish leaders and authorities, you hypocrites. Man, they didn't like that. Pretty sure those Pharisees, they ran off. They planned his death right away. So angry. But it did not stop the Lord to stand for what was right. He says, you give your tenth of your spices, your mint, your dill, your cumin, these little herbs from their garden. Oh, give a tenth of it. Follow these stringent rules. He says, but you've neglected the more important matters of the law, the more weighty matters. Which ones were they? Justice, mercy, faithfulness. After the cross and Jesus' resurrection, do you think he forgot about justice? Because he certainly didn't forget about it in Matthew 23. It's what he came to do. The just one, dying for the unjust, that he might bring us back to God. There's no greater act of justice and authority in God's eye than to be in a position of authority and to come to the needs of those who cannot help themselves and to rise them up and bring them up again. This is the gospel message. This is what we've been called to do. Both individual transformation and community transformation are part of restoring wholeness. While morality and immorality are birthed in the human heart, justice is centered in God's heart. We are to purify our hearts whose desire leads us to sin. With transformed hearts, we are to extend God's justice to all the vulnerable around us and to show in the process no partiality. These concerns are not limited to life within the Christian community, though we need to start with our own Christian community, our own local church, in exhibiting what justice looks like. But it's not just for that. After all, how can we be salt and light if we practice justice amongst our own, but do not extend it to those outside the believing community? The reason why I tell you this is, in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus said, the Gentiles take care of themselves. Christians were called to do much more than that. They were to extend their love to their enemies, to the foreigners, to those who needed God. That's what we've been called to do. And this is at the heart of the Lord himself. In the Gospels, as well as the Acts, we see Christians ministering to the poor and the marginalized, even challenging societal structures that weigh down upon them. I find it interesting. The early church saw such an expansion of God's kingdom. Thousands and thousands of souls saved scattered all around the world, even in Paul's lifetime, how many places they saw the gospel go. And this is the way they lived. And for the last few hundred years, many in the Christian community don't think we need to do these things anymore because they think that their focus and time should be spent on other things, as if this is not a spiritual endeavor to care for those who cannot speak for themselves. I believe it's when the world saw these Christians, they wanted to know more about a God that they were reflecting what makes the gospel message so powerful is to see lives that preach its message totally transformed. It's sad to preach a message, even if it's a good one, and to live like the devil all week. 
or to live like control freaks or power strugglers than to come on a platform like this and read beautiful words. I mean, Paul said, whether they preach out of good hearts or bad hearts, I'm just glad the gospel is preached. So that, to that extent, I echo, my, I echo the thoughts of Paul. He's right with that. But we wonder why the gospel is not as powerful today. It's as powerful as it's always been. The problem is the people who are preaching. Are they transformed? Because the world will know we belong to Christ. If we have love for each other. If justice, the character of God, is being reflected in us through the world. We can't do it without the Spirit of God's power. And I'm not saying we're perfect. We're not. We fail all the time. But are we focused on emulating God's character to those around us? Today we have even more opportunities to extend and advance his restorative justice. And I want to make this practical today because I'm not, I'm, not, I'm not trying to have us focused on just one area of society. Do we show justice in our families? That's where it starts. Our church community and then eventually the greater world around us. I've heard many talk about the post-Christian culture. The UK, Canada, the United States. We live in a post-Christian culture. The culture is against the gospel, and it's against Christianity. The gospel's always been against. The world's always been against the gospel. And the world's always been against Christianity. There's just one difference. When the church was growing in the beginning, the Roman Empire, with all its power, tried its best to snuff it out. You know what happened? The Christian community toppled the Roman Empire. The Roman Empire completely dissolved. They couldn't hold on to their grasp. And the Christian community continued to spread. We live in a world today, I think the post-Christian culture has come as a result of generations of people, including children that were raised in, should have been professing Christian homes, that have seen the hypocrisy of their parents and their church communities. And to them... They think to themselves, if that's the Jesus you serve, I want nothing to do with him. I think that's searching, but I think it's true. In the post-Christian culture today, many skeptics view religion today as coercive, divisive, and a source of injustice, the very place that should be reflecting the justice of God. What does James 1 and 27 say? Religion that is pure and undefiled before God the Father. This is not the Old Testament. This is the New Testament to visit orphans and widows in their affliction, and to keep oneself unstained from the world. How are we doing in reflecting the image of God? The kind of religion the Bible advocates is rooted in justice that flows from the heart of God. It seeks to bring all things into the wholeness of God. As those justified by faith in the God of all justice, we are to experience the wholeness that he brings and extend it as citizens of his kingdom. As I close, we often hear in the Old Testament of the righteous and the wicked, the righteous and the wicked. Psalms, Proverbs, the righteous and the wicked. Here's a definition I want you to think about on this subject as we come to a close. The righteous are those that disadvantage themselves for the sake of helping others. The wicked are those that disadvantage others for the sake of helping themselves. Which of the two do we fall into? I know where Christ falls into. The one who came not to be served, but to serve and give his life a ransom for many. We were called to be the righteous. For all of us who have positions of authority, I think of those in our assembly here, from a teacher to a principal to a manager to a president of a company to a father to a mother to an elder to a deacon to a senior saint, a senior brother, a senior sister with, with respect and, and people looking up to you. 
Do you live like the righteous? Disadvantaging yourselves for the sake of others? Or do you live like the wicked? Disadvantaging others for the sake of propping up yourself. That's how the world's power systems work. I don't want to go through the leaders of our world, but you could pick a number of leaders. They don't look like they're serving the needs of others. They're serving their own needs. Christians were called to do differently. We were called to reflect the leadership that God brings from above. And his leadership is far different. He disadvantaged himself for the sake of us. And so in conclusion, I want to bring it to some practicality because I've taken us through a panoramic view of Scripture from Genesis all the way over to just about Revelation. Well, I spoke of Revelation, so we've gone through the whole thing. Justice in our relationships. How do we show justice today as Christians? I believe it starts with our families. In our family unit, if you're a father or a husband or you're a wife or a mother, whether you're grandparents, do we enact the image of God in justice in our family community? My children don't have the same voice that I have for obvious reasons. Just think about it. Do you think Megan has the same voice as me in the family? Decisions that have to be made? Decisions that we decide to abide by? Who ultimately lives or makes those decisions? Me and Jody do. Not Megan. Megan in that case is the vulnerable one. I have been called with a great responsibility before God, one that I believe I will be judged for. This brings to me a, a, a great sense of humility here. See, in our world, you get to the top so you can keep advantaging yourself once you're up there. The way God works is once you get to the top of something, like accountability or responsibility, now you have the eye of God always watching you. You making the right decisions? You doing it the way God would do it? My daughter Megan is disadvantaged. She's the vulnerable. She can't speak the way I can speak. She's smiling, I think, right now between her little mask because she's, she's probably wondering where I'm going with it. But my, my point is, as a father and as a husband, I carry a great responsibility. And in our family units as Christians, we start showing justice in this environment. We started in our home. What about our church community, the church at large? In general, today, Langstaff, a local church, a local assembly. Are the elders, are the deacons, are the senior saints, are we showing justice in our church environment? Are the leaders speaking for those who cannot speak? I've said to you, I can speak. Disagree with me? I can, I can speak after. I have this podium to speak to all of you today. I am not the vulnerable. If I make myself the vulnerable, then I'm just playing games. I'm not the vulnerable. I know I'm not. I am responsible for ensuring that there's justice. Those who cannot speak have a voice in this assembly. That they're protected. That they're not attacked when they don't deserve to be. That's what I'm called to do. But if I attack you, for example, I'm not the vulnerable here. I'm a person of authority. It's clear in Scripture. I mean, I'm not taking any of this out of context. If you want a church environment that is healthy and that grows properly, it will have a leadership that protects those who have the smallest voice. I think once the family unit and once the local church community starts to reflect God's image, the Spirit of God working, us abandoning our sin, and focused on this equitable status, I believe that it flows into our neighborhoods and ultimately the community at large. And that's when you see great revivals and many souls coming to know Christ as Savior. It's not a formula, but it is how God does work. And God has seen fit to partner with humanity. 
Don't ask me the question why, I don't know. But God has seen fit, right from the Genesis story, He has always seen fit to partner with humanity in this great project of showing dominion and authority over His created world. And God calls us to do the same. And when we fail, we say, where's a God of justice? Make no mistake, judgment day is coming. That's what people forget all the time. Oh, time might go on for a while. Might, you might live 50 more years. Justice is coming. Because the one who is just will set it all right. Retributive justice, restorative justice. I would rather be on the side of restorative. I would rather be those who were martyred that said, Lord, how long? How long before you avenge us? I don't want to be on the other side of that equation. So those of us in a position of authority, we cannot forget that justice is a great responsibility that we bear and we will be held to an account. For those who are vulnerable, may you feel encouraged. May this be a place or in your family unit where you are comfortable to speak to authority so that those who can't speak are willing to do so. In our Tuesday night study, uh, this, this came up last week on the Christmas story, and I'll just close with it. I apologize, I took a little extra time. Philip Yancey says these words, As I read the birth stories about Jesus, I cannot help but conclude that though the world may be tilted towards the rich and the powerful, God is tilted towards the underdog. I'm very thankful for that because sinners are underdogs. We're made a little lower than the angels, and yet God has shown compassion to us. So for those of us in positions of authority today, this message is predominantly for us. May we be like God in his character, and may we reflect it in the world. May we be tilted towards the underdog. Let's pray. Father, we give thanks for your mercy and your kindness to us. We give thanks for your justice. We think of the words of Amos. He could say, let justice roll like a river and righteousness like an unfailing stream. And we just pray that as, as difficult as these concepts are to understand and enact in our own uh, sphere of service for you, that we would, by God's spirit, have eyes that would be open and hearts that would be sensitive to those who cannot speak for themselves, those who have been placed under our care, that we may have the love, the tender-hearted character of our Lord Jesus Christ to tend to their needs and also to speak out to those who would abuse these forms of justice in the positions that they hold. This is a great challenge for all of us. We fail in so many of these areas, and yet we want to succeed by the power of God. And so we pray that you would not only challenge us, but equip us and guide us for this very difficult and yet honorable task of serving the Lord Jesus by showing the world what God is like. We ask this in our Savior's name. Amen. Mm -hmm.